Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect.dev. Today, we are talking all about the journey of a freelance designer and developer, and we're lucky enough to have Amy Dutton with us. Hey, Amy. Hey, how's it going? It's going fantastic. So glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Wish we uh, could have made this happen sooner. I mean, it's been an awesome time spending with all the the new podcasters surrounding the compressed FM show. So it's uh, it's really cool to have you both on. Yeah, thank you. So a little bit about Amy. Amy is a designer and developer with over 20 years of experience freelancing. Her day job is a senior UI UX designer and front-end developer at Zeal. But she also co-hosts the Compressed FM podcast with James Quick, who we were just talking about and runs the self-teach-me YouTube channel, which I think you're probably most popular from, uh, where she teaches designers to code and developers to design. That's right. Anything I miss, Amy, I always feel like I miss people's bio. Like it could be pages long after 20 years of doing this. Yeah, I'm ancient in internet years. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, So yeah, let's talk a little bit about what is Zeal, first of all, and what do you do there? Yeah, so Zeal is a custom software consultancy. They're based out of Southern Oregon, and they are a remote team. So we have team members all across the states, and actually for a while we had one in Hawaii and Alaska. We're not huge, though. We're only about 12 people. Um And it's primarily a Rails and a Ruby shop, but I am the UI UX designer, and I also do front-end work for them. So the cool part is, like I said, they're a remote team. They've always been remote, will always be remote. And so I also say that cautiously and the fact that we've been very blessed and haven't felt much of a bump with the COVID stuff. Uh, Not much of my life changed just because we were already remote. That's really That's awesome. I, I think I was just reading like Robin Hood. Um, they were pulling out of their um, California office because they're try- they, they were supposed to be a remote um, company and they're trying to get back to that too, like everyone mm-hmm. else. So that's really cool to hear that you guys are remote first and you think that way first. I, I think it's mm-hmm. difficult, um, especially through COVID times to kind of adjust to that as a norm. So that's awesome. Yeah. For a while at the beginning, we were even trying to help our clients a little bit that were struggling to say, okay, what does this look like? And, you know, I think a huge part of what makes that work is just the amount of trust that they have in us and that we have in each other. So what do you do as part of your job there? What does senior UI UX designer do day to day? Yeah. So it really depends on the client. Um, you Most of our team members are assigned to a single client and they'll be full-time on a project. And I did go full-time on a project in November, but I actually helped several clients. So it looks different depending on what the client needs. So there's one client, for example, I'm doing a lot of design and the way that that works is they will have me mock up different things and then they'll go to their board and say, Hey, this is what we're thinking about. And if that gets approved, then I'll help do the front end work for it. And then they'll hand it off to an engineer to plug it into rails and react. For other clients, I'm doing a lot of prototyping. So you had mentioned I was on the Learn with Jason stream Mm -hmm. earlier where we were talking about Framer and creating prototypes. So I do a lot of that. And for people that aren't familiar, 
prototypes are great because a lot of times when you're working with clients, you're say, imagine what this will look like. And it's hard to imagine for some clients just because they're visual in the way that they think. And it feels a lot like smoke and mirrors. But with yeah. prototyping, you can actually demonstrate this is what I'm envisioning. This is how it's going to work. And it feels a little bit more tactile. Like with Framer, you can actually get it on your phone and swipe through the app on your phone as if it were a real app. And then if everything gets approved and goes well, then you can hand it off to an engineer to actually go through the whole development process. Very cool. Sounds like you do a lot more of the design side of it, though. You don't do so much of the code anymore. Uh, right now. And it, like I said, it really just depends on the number of clients that we have or who I'm on project with. Um, okay. When I was doing freelance full time, I was probably split half and half. Can we talk a little bit about that? I know we kind of did a maybe a little in reverse here, but um, can you talk about your journey into freelance and how you stepped into that instead of maybe going the traditional route in your career? Yeah, sure. So I've always done freelance on the side. I started doing a lot of code stuff when I was 16, which is why I've been in this for 20 years. It makes me sound ancient, but just, and it's funny when I think about it now, like a 16 year old starting in their career, <laughs> um, just sounds a little absurd, but I, for me, it was a natural thing and it was more of a hobby and it's still kind of as a hobby, you know, at night, I still like to look at YouTube videos and read tech stuff, but, um, so I've always done freelance stuff on the side and I kind of, as I, let's see, like how much of my career journey do you want to know? Um, I ended up, I'll tell you how I kind of went freelance full time. I was working for a company and they had a change in leadership. And so I wasn't, my job and my role had kind of changed a little bit and they were trying to figure out how I fit into it. And I would have had a job, but the, my boss at the time was more of a friend than a boss. I mean, he was still a boss, but he was very much a friend. And he just said, Amy, you've been talking about doing freelance full time. I'd been doing it on the side for a while talked about doing freelance full-time, either do it or stop talking about it, which I appreciate having those people in your life to help keep it real and keep you accountable. And so uh, I was newly married, really only been married, I think two or three months and started talking to my husband about it. And he said, you know what, we can do this, we can make it work. And so I went freelance full-time. So I did that for seven years before I joined Zeal full-time. Wow. That's amazing. So, so during that Sorry. So having someone to push you like kind of made you make the jump. And that kind of brought up another question that I had is that at what point do you think that someone is capable of making that jump to freelancing? Is it like a monetary value or is it what insurance? I mean, what are those things? All the things. All the things. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be different for every person. I know that's not a great answer. But for me, the things that made a big difference was somebody pushing me that I had a job that I loved and the role had changed a little bit. So that was part of it. The fact that I was newly married and my husband had a job. And so there was something to kind of fall back on if something didn't end up working out. So yeah. that was another huge piece of it. I know it was some people will tell you, try and basically work up your freelance so you're working two jobs at one time. I wasn't to that point yet. And I, it's, that's incredibly hard. You're just going to, I feel like burn yourself out if you, if you go at it that hard. I know other people will tell you to save up like six months of income and have that in the bank. And then that way, if something happens, you'll have something to fall back on. I didn't have that much in my business account. I don't mind to say I had $10,000 in my business account at the time. So it wasn't enough to 
for six months of work. And I did have contracts and promise of work and that kind of thing. And, you know, I've been doing it on the side for a while. And I was just very fortunate in that when I made that announcement, hey, I'm going freelance full time, that the work was there and more people were like, oh, we could use this and this and this. So it really helped being able to build up that network over time so that when it happened, I had contacts. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you find when you were kind of going through that phase that you were getting jobs that basically required both design and development? Or were there any any time in that period where you're just solely doing design for someone? Yeah, it really came down to the client. So a huge part of that was actually the company that I was working for said, hey, this is actually a different department, a different department in that company said, hey, we can send you work. And that was marketing. So I was doing print ads for them at the time. And that first year that actually made up a majority of my income. So that just goes to show if somebody is looking at doing freelance full time, there might be an opportunity to work with your current employer. And it's not at a loss to them because all of a sudden they're not having to pay overhead, like freelance uh, health benefits and taxes and all that stuff. So, you know, it might be an option, but it has been to my benefit that I can do design and development because yeah. some projects, they do want both and they find it nice to be able to come to somebody and I can talk about the project through the entire experience and there's nothing really lost in translation. I know when I'm coding stuff out, oh, we had this conversation and I'm brainstorming yeah. conception meeting. I can pull that in. Other clients, they already have the design, and so I was just doing development work for them. Or sometimes they, if it was print, obviously there's no development behind it. Or if they had their own development team, I could hand that off. So that was another huge plus for me, and that it expanded the offerings that I was able to provide a client. And I know this is probably changing. You've probably had a variety, but what are the size of the projects that you would take on? Were these like you taking on these massive projects or were they just pieces like you said sometimes design and sometimes development or did you ever do the whole thing together I did the whole thing quite a bit uh, and that really did help those are probably bigger projects uh-huh. um, they would range oh man everything from like two hundred dollars to fifteen thousand just depends wow. on what they were looking for yeah okay how did how did you kind of go about um, I don't know like taking that work in and saying this client might be more valuable to me versus timeline and breaking down your timeline as a a freelancer and um, kind of keeping those clients rolling. Yeah. So my sweet spot, I think this answers your question. My sweet spot was partnering with agencies. Okay. And a huge part of that is because as a freelancer, you're having to wear all the hats. You're having to wear the accounting hat, the legal hat. When you're signing contracts, you're having to go out and market and find new clients and then actually do the work on top of that. And so if I was able to partner with an agency, they would constantly have projects coming to me and they're doing the marketing side of things. They're doing the sales side of things. And then I could just focus on the work. So the good thing is those clients were definitely reoccurring and they constantly had new projects for me to work on. It's kind of interesting um, where I work in my day job at OST. We have that similar setup where we have quite a few 1099s because they just prefer to work that way. Um, But we, we all, always have extra work going on and it's kind of finding the right mix to say should we bring in this 1099 or save this work and like let that client be flexible on their timeline and it's kind of a nice mixture not to find the the people that always need it done tomorrow that are willing to you know wait that six months so you can kind of 
not necessarily bench someone or like go find another 1099, but it just provides a nice flow and a, a steady uh, kind of, I'll call it income stream, but just steady amount of work realistically. So it's kind of fun to hear the other side of it as a freelancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself yeah. have always been too nervous to jump into that freelance <laughs> mode. Like I always wanted my 401k. I always wanted the insurance side. So it's always interesting to hear that and not coming from a design background. I love hearing like that piece of it too, because I always feel like that is like so underappreciated in the market as well for that type of work. I feel like it's either an entire agency going, um, you're going after all the time and not necessarily like a freelancer. So it's a great perspective. Yeah. And my job at Zeal actually started as a contract worker. I did stuff for them for almost four years before I went full time. And that was mostly my preference. I had young kids at the time and felt like freelance gave me a lot more flexibility, but ended up kind of as our situation changed and I was, as I was looking for something else, ended up going full time with them. I know like every situation is different, as you said, but could you, like, if you were to put yourself in a different position, if you weren't married, if your husband didn't have insurance, do you feel as though you could have still done that? Been, been oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say no, but for a different reason. Okay. Not for the financial stability reason, but really the social aspect of it. Um, and that's still something that in some degree is difficult about working for a remote company is that I'm at home, but I do really miss those office conversations and being able to hang out with people and be social. And there's things that zeal does to try and help people feel connected and integrated and things like that. But it's still different than when you're just doing freelance by yourself and you're in the corner of your own room and that's all you see. You have to be in- intentional about leaving the house. Yeah. yeah, that actually brings up another question. Like, what are some of the pitfalls? Like, that would definitely be one is like you you kind of become antisocial. You're by yourself all the time. So what are some of the other pitfalls? It sounds like a dream job, but what's some of the things that can like cause it to not be so great? Yeah, so if you're not constantly learning, it's very easy to get stuck in the same tech stack because you don't have anybody pushing you to learn new technologies. You don't have anybody saying, hey, I just found this on the internet. What do you think about this? And the same is true for design. It's not like I can run over to the designer in the office next door and say, I'm struggling with this. Will you take a look? Or for them to say, it looks fine, but you should try this. And I just feel like when you're working with a team, there's kind of a a rub in a healthy way that makes you a better designer and a better developer. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the things that you are doing with Zeal a little more? Um, We're struggling at work like crazy because uh, OST is, it's a very social, like we have a huge kitchen that we would all sit around and talk and when we're doing designs for clients, we'd be on a whiteboard or like just this massive, you know, 10 people surrounding it and be really collaborative. Can you talk about some of the, the tools that you guys are using or, or some yeah, of that sure. socialization? Yeah. So we have a stand up every morning at 10. Well, it's 10 central. They're based out of Southern Oregon. So they're Pacific time. So it's eight for them, but we have that stand up. And for most people, it, I don't know if it would necessarily seem pointless. We usually have this like three, part thing that we go through. It's only 15 minutes, but we talk about interesting. So as I was talking about trying to level up each other and keep each other sharp, that's a great time to say, hey, I found this on the internet. And interesting doesn't even necessarily have to be directly related to tech. There's one guy that has really been following the space station stuff that they're doing right now. Uh So usually he'll give us an update on the space station. 
Um, so there's, there's different opportunities there. And then the next part, we'll talk about project updates and not everybody shares during that time, but it's a good opportunity if you're having trouble with something or you just want to kind of keep the entire group aware of where you want our project. Cause we're all on different projects. We're not all working for the same client. And then the third piece of that is business updates. So that probably is the most like businessy serious thing is it's a good opportunity to say, Hey, we're talking about this as a business or we have our quarterly meeting or we're looking at hiring or here's the financial status of the company. So that's a good opportunity for them to share that information. So that really helps me feel connected with other people on our team. If I'm not working with somebody on a client project, I really have no interaction with them other Mm -hmm. than that morning stand up. So it kind of helps kick so, off. The so day. you guys do that daily then that's a daily standard. That's right. That's oh, right. That's cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, OST, we have 300 people, so it's a little more challenging. <laughs> we probably couldn't quite do that. So we, we have our regular team standups, but I like the, the addition there that you kind of break it up in the three different pieces because typically we're either running full safe or agile scrum and it's mm-hmm. very business, you know, occasionally we'll kind of go off in the weeds and, you know, how, how was this rocket that almost crashed and, and things like that. But um, so it's interesting to hear that. Is there any other ways as like a designer, uh, the creativity side, like always amazes me with designers. Is there something that you guys do internally or even with your clients to like kind of express some of that creativity to get it out there? Is it all through Framer or are you using like Figma to throw things around or is there some way of collaborating with that? Sure. So kind of two pieces there on Wednesdays during lunch, we alternate between an internal retro. So we also do agile. So that's a good opportunity to talk about what's working, what's not working. And that's all internal. We also on the off week, we have an, it's called an engineering meeting, but I'm able to say, Hey, this is what I'm working on. When I first started working in Framer, I showed our team, hey, look, this is how I'm creating these React components and how everything gets plugged in. And this is a great workflow. So it's a good opportunity just to stay fresh. Uh, For the clients that I'm working with, I'm working in Figma and well, and in Framer, but primarily collaborating in Figma. And so I'll have other designers from these companies and clients that I'm working with in that project and they're contributing or commenting on different things. We'll I'll have standups with our clients on top of our internal standups. And so that's a good opportunity to talk through designs or just making each other better. That rub that I was talking about, we still get that remotely. So that's either happening asynchronously with Figma and Slack is another tool, or it's happening through a video call with Zoom and screen sharing. Are are you finding, and maybe because you're remote first, you've never really had this, but even though like you have all those collaborative pieces, there's still something there that you might miss, like on a, just a whiteboard session or something like that? Yeah, I think there's always a thing to miss just in, you know, even when you're, say, working in Zoom, you might mute your microphone if you're not talking. And so you might miss that side comment that you say to your neighbor. You know, there's creativity involved in that. So there is something to be missed. But, you know, I think just for our flexibility in our team, there's something really special about the culture that Zeal has that, I mean, that's the main reason why I'm there and plan on being there for a long time. And are they still hiring, right? Yes, they are hiring. So if you are interested, there's a good plug, good segue. Um, Yeah, go to Zeal's website and check out their jobs page, whether you are a designer or a developer. Are you excited or are you going to be using FigJam? 
Oh, I briefly looked at it the other day because I was like, why are everybody why is everybody so excited it. about yeah, this? Right, as it got <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they announced a whole bunch of really cool stuff at their last <laughs> conference. Yeah, huge. so for anybody listening, they announced branching, which from a design perspective, what that means, coding has had this for years, yeah. but you can, coding perspective, you can take something and iterate on it, but not lose the changes or easily go back and see different versions. Design, it's been a little bit harder to do that over the years. You're typically saving multiple files with yeah. You know, yesterday's date, today's date, final, next final, real final. Uh, or with Figma, a lot of times I'm copying and duplicating artboards just so I have something for prosperity's sake. But with branching, it should resolve a lot of that, which is cool. And then they also announced a lot of interactive components, which I'm curious how that will play with Framer. I really do like Framer and the direction of that team. So I'm curious what their response was to some of the announcements that Figma made. I didn't catch with Framer. Does that just do React components or does that transpile to like HTML too? I'm not sure how Figma exports their stuff. I know on their code panel, you can grab CSS, but a lot of times in terms of positioning. Oh, I'm at Framer. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Um, so oh, I'll finish this thought. So with Framer, you're just oh, Figma. They both have some learnings. <laughs> yeah, you're the the CSS, right. And it has more of absolute positioning, which if I'm coding something out, I'm not going to put absolute positioning on everything. Yeah. With Framer, you can, um, there's still a little bit of refactoring when you do that handoff. So the cool thing about Framer is you can actually write custom React components and then even design basically with those custom React components that you've coded. So <clears throat> the cool thing is Spotify, I was talking to a designer that works there. They have almost their entire coded library duplicated as framer components that they're wow. using within their mockups and their prototypes. And they are even hooking into the Spotify API so that as they're mocking stuff out, you're pulling wow. in live artist data and things wow. like that, which is really interesting. But yeah. so the, the, the components that you write, the React components, you can always use those obviously as React because that's how that originated. But I think that the components that they have that are built in, or if it's like a design component, I think you still have to build that within React. And it's not, if it's a mobile app, it's not React Native. So you'd still have to do a little bit of refactoring to get it ready to go over to React Native. I've never used Framer. So I was wondering how that works with like bringing it back to the code. And you mentioned earlier too, like your tech stack. So when you were freelancing and you had a tech stack that you didn't know and you had to go ask people. So what was your niche tech stack? What is your favorite tech stack? And did you do like multiple different ones when you were freelancing? Yeah, I did a little bit of multiple stacks depending on say the agency that I was working with and what they preferred. A lot of times they would help determine what that tech stack was. But I did a ton of WordPress development. Actually, a majority of the work that I did when I was doing freelance was in WordPress and I was just developing these custom themes and delivering them. And yeah, since it was custom, I was writing all the code for that. And I incorporated Gulp and some of that automatic task runner builder processes into the developing um, did some a little bit of fancy stuff with PHP and things like that at the time. But now my definitely my preferred stack is Next.js and Sanity and trying to move actually the majority of my clients in that direction instead of WordPress. Oh, cool. So Sanity is your CMS of choice then? That's right. That's right. I love it. And do your clients love it too? I'm wondering about that. 
Yeah, I haven't put quite as many clients on it yet as I did with WordPress because I'm comparing like a year to seven years. <laughs> yeah. But you know, a huge part, I think, with Sanity is the flexibility that's involved there. So I'm actually doing a side project right now that is going to be a huge project in terms of Sanity. And part of the reason that we went with Sanity is because of the you can do Grok or you can do GraphQL and they have oh, multiple yeah. sources of to say of truth basically they have essentially their crm that they want to integrate there's possibly this is just building for the future a shopify store that they want to pull in and shopify has its own graphql api and then they have their content that they have for the website and i think that might be all the pieces but with hashura you can actually stitch all of those GraphQL pieces together. And so you're doing like a single call to grab all that data and pull all those pieces together. So they're excited about it. And the fact that instead of having to write, say, a custom solution or use something that like WooCommerce on WordPress, I'm not crazy about. And it's, uh -huh. you know, trying to force it to work. It's almost like forcing a square peg in a round hole or however that saying goes. But with Sanity, you allow each of those services to do what they're I say with Sanity, with Next.js and GraphQL, you allow each of those services to really do what they're good at and shine mm -hmm. and then bring those in and pull them together. And you said Grok in there. So I just wanted to say that Grok is Sanity's oh, querying you. language that they created, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. And you have the ability to use GraphQL or you can use or Grok. Use, okay. Yeah. And Grok takes a little bit to uh, start to I learn, know. but once you, once you know it, it's super powerful. So. Yeah, it's not it's not too crazy, and it's not that far fetched from GraphQL. There's a few little nuances in there, but it's not terrible. Uh, interesting that they wrote their own language, even though GraphQL yeah. was already there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure some of it probably has to do with performance and oh yeah, owning that owning that um, proprietary knowledge that goes behind it. So you're definitely yeah. more in the React world now, and is that what Zeal uses, or do they do a variety of tech stacks? Yeah, so part of the reason I'm with React is because of Zeal. Uh, they are primi primarily Rails, but they do a lot of React as well. So okay. sometimes React sits on top of Rails. Sometimes they just do React development. It, again, just depends on the client. That makes sense. Um, so let's talk about this this newest project that you, you know what, before we, before we jump in that one, I want to kind of talk a little bit more um, about your self teach me uh, piece oh, yeah. and kind of what that is all about. Can you tell our listeners? I, I know you're super passionate about it. What, what's self teach me all about? Yeah. So about a year and a half ago now, I started the YouTube channel at self teach me and really just a passion for teaching other people how to do what I do. I feel like I get asked that all the time and it's still not at a place where I feel like we're there or I've arrived, but just trying to get comfortable with creating these videos and publishing, publishing them and create, starting to create courses around that and provide knowledge. I feel like I have so much trapped in my head from doing this for 20 years that it feels selfish to leave it there. I really do want to share. And I have a passion for teaching and helping people. That's really awesome that you're putting all of that out there too and not getting technically paid for it unless you're getting something through YouTube. Like you're just putting it out there not for yet. free, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so far I do, <laughs> I do plan on monetizing at some point, but yeah. yeah, right now everything is, is free. And some of that is the way that YouTube has that set up, which is yeah. kind of interesting. 
So you have to have 4,000 watch time hours. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not quite there yet. It's, it's in a traversing calendar year. So even if <laughs> yes. you get a lot, it can go away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so that kind of led into, or I assume the kind of next adventure that you've started with James. So does that tie in really well to Compressed FM, the podcast and, and that whole journey of getting that out of your head, as you said? Yeah, it's really just another medium for people, whether they consume content best through YouTube or whether it's audio with a podcast. So we've started Compressed.fm and that released mid-April. And that's been a really fun journey as well. James is just a great conversationalist mm -hmm. and really enjoyed working with him. So he had me on his stream. And afterwards, I <laughs> said, I'm probably going to be the crazy lady from the internet. <laughs> How do you feel about doing a podcast? <laughs> oh, nice. So yeah, that's been really fun. That's really cool. Them. Are you guys, um, when you created the compress.fm site, is that all like your, your same stack you want insanity and react and all that fun stuff? That's right. Yeah. It's built with Next.js and sanity. And we're, Next. we, we did some fun stuff on the back end that James really worked on. So with Next.js, you have this API folder where you can hook into and run custom functions and things like that. And so there's an auth component that's using Auth0. And for our sponsors or guests, they can log in and they have their own dashboard that will automatically pull in stats. So we're hosting with Simplecast and they offer all of their data through an API. Wow. So we're passing that in so that they can see real time how many hits and listens and downloads their episodes have gotten. That's going to be really nice for the sponsors too, to have their own place. They can go and see that visually. Mm -hmm. It's nice to have those visuals sometimes. Mm -hmm. I was actually talking to James about his branding the other day, and I thought that you were the one who had created some of his branding. And I'm like, the compressed stuff is so good. And like, Amy's so good at what she does. <laughs> oh, and he's you. like, no, she didn't do my personal branding. And, but, <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. There, I think there might be an opportunity there in the future, but it's uh, been a little crazy just with everything else, <laughs> trying to get compressed.fm and everything launched. So, oh, yeah. So we, we did kind of an episode on the different um, areas that designers can go to today to like, you know, find new creative ways to like make their brain work and tools and things like that. Is there any space that you regularly go to to find like inspiration on the Internet or you would suggest for others? Yeah, Dribble is a great resource. Uh, that's Dribble with three Bs. Yeah, a little crazy, but <laughs> yeah, they're great. Um, so th the only thing about Dribble is their their thumbnails are uh, you can see a, a full screen view of it, but their thumbnails are only like four hundred by three hundred, so you're only getting a grab. And some of them you do have to take with a grain of salt because you look at a website and you're like, okay, that would not fly from a UX perspective, but from a visual perspective, it is a great place to go and get different ideas. One thing that I like from it is I can usually scan a page of results and tell what the trend is. That makes a big difference in just knowing, okay, what's coming down the pipe? What are people leaning towards? What's the next thing visually? Another great resource is Behance, kind of the same thing, but that's a great portfolio. And I believe that's owned by Adobe. 
So that's another, another good resource. And then I have actually on my browser, I have the Panda extension installed. And so anytime I open up a new tab, it'll show me your inspiration from different sites that it's aggregated mm-hmm. content. It also has front end news. So a lot of times I just click around Panda. That is new to me. I yeah, to, uh, me too. I'm going to have to look this up. What's the name of the extension? Uh, just pandas? It's like it's Panda Five. I'll put it in our uh, our Notion document. Yep, that's right. That's, that's I wonder if they have a Firefox one. Yeah, I think it came up. And cool. there's if if you have listeners that aren't design heavy that are more say front end heavy, you can also change what sources it's aggregating content from or different ones that you want to highlight. So it awesome. also I get I love the links that sidebar. Get sidebar.io maybe the links that they put out. It also has a Reddit feed. There's some medium stuff, designer news, front and front has several great resources that it's pulling from. That's awesome. We're getting all these perfect picks like before our perfect picks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for people that are kind of trying to get into freelance, do you have any suggestions for finding kind of new clients or like a site that you should post yourself on to get clients to come to you? Yeah, I think in terms of self-promotion, Instagram is great and you can do oh, it in okay. a way that's not sleazy by just saying, hey, this is what I'm working on. And mm-hmm. if you use the appropriate tags and things like that, that lets people know that might even already be within your network that this is what you're doing and that way they can reach out to you. And that's, I didn't use Instagram per se, but a lot of my networking came from people that I already know. And then once you get going, ideally, if you do a good job, those people will refer you to other people. And so your network quickly spreads out. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of Instagram as being one that you would go to for tech. I mean, maybe more design stuff, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't think of that for tech, but yeah, you know, and even I, I've been I, following I a lot of tech logos, people. Uh, I, I started like just hitting designers on Instagram and then I would like ping them and say, hey, I love your work. Can you can you oh. make me AJ? And like <laughs> I never got anything that actually worked for that. So I made AJ, but <laughs> it still worked out. <laughs> nice. uh, I was going to say, even from a tech perspective, it, Instagram is really interesting too because you'll have some people that say if you don't know Flexbox, they'll give you a quick Flexbox summary within your swipeable carousel. Uh-huh. Or they'll say, uh, I follow a few typographers and they'll explain typography rules or they'll show you good type pairings in in their carousels. I'm going to have to dig into Instagram. (laughs) I just asked him that the other day and he's like, nope, I got to defer to you on that one. (laughs) I can tell you what a good type looks like, but I can't like go through all this. Cool. Well, I, I think those are amazing picks. And speaking of picks, as Brittany said, we should probably dive into our perfect picks at this time. So not to put you completely on the spot here, Amy, but if I get my windows right here, I'm going to put you up first. Sorry, a little delay here on my, my Chrome Windows situation. All right, here we go. Yeah, so this is my first pick. It is a magnetic phone mount, and you can see it is not expensive. It's $12 for two, and we've actually bought this multiple times, but either we've left it in a rental car or handed it off to somebody else. But these just stick into, yeah, there you go, your air conditioning of your car, and you have a magnet. And at first, I was a little nervous about putting a magnet near my phone, or I have 
credit cards in the back of my phone case. I was concerned about putting magnets, but I've never had any issue. Yeah. So it comes with multiple shaped magnets and then it just will stick to your dash on your car. So I've had multiple different mounts that I've tried to use over the years and either the suction on it will die and it'll end up flying onto the floor or across the car when you make a turn. Uh, either the sticky part comes unsticky or the suction loses its suctionness. But this we've never had any issues with. And the nice thing about two is I have one in my car and my husband has one in his car. And so we can just swap cars easily and just stick it on the dash. That's cool. I, I just went to what I call the dark side and got my first iPhone ever. And uh, they have the new MagSafe like connection in there. So I've been looking at things like these for a while now. Yeah. Cool. So not the dark side, the light side. And I will yeah. say this, I learned this the other day. Apparently Apple has in their contract that villains on a site or a movie, uh, sorry, a show or a movie cannot use an iPhone. So they were saying a lot of times, oh my gosh. this is like going to ruin movies for me forever. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching a movie and everybody has an iPhone, except the villain has an Android, you'll know <laughs> who the oh villain is. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll do your second pick here. Yeah. So this is an Imbrava light. And so from working from home, this is a great tool. I have this on the corner of my desk and it hooks into zoom and it will turn red whenever I'm in a meeting. I think if you're on a windows machine, there's more apps that it's synced into, but I just have zoom, which is fine. And that's what I'm on most of the, most of the time. But I just found from working at home, my kids are great about knowing if I have a meeting or things like that, but occasionally, you know, they'll be knocking, they'll knock at the window or of the door and I'll either say no or yes, <laughs> But it does create kind of this awkward moment where I'm trying to slowly yeah. look over and tell them no or yes. So with this light, they automatically know I don't even need to knock or ask. I know mom's on a call. So and it's also my husband sometimes he'll sneak into the back. The dogs usually hang out in my office. He'll sneak into my office to take care of the dogs. He knows, you know, whether I'm on a call or not before he comes in. So That's it makes really cool. made it's made a big difference. Yeah. We're building a new house right now. I jokingly said I need one of those like radio like lights outside my door so that you oh, know yeah, what's yeah, recording. <laughs> yep. Yes. Awesome. So, and this um, this isn't big. It's uh, probably two or three inches tall. Just oh, oh. it's on the corner of my desk. Yeah, it yeah. looks big, but it's there you go. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Brittany, you are up next. Okay. Yeah. So tying into our podcast and what it was about today, but um, Compressed FM, the podcast that Amy does with James Quick, they have a two-part freelancing episode and it was fantastic. Goes into pretty much anything you would want to know about freelancing. And plus, if you sign up for their newsletter and check out their site, they actually have resources that you can physically use. Like, uh, I think a contract thing was in there. And That's there right. was one about like a uh, how you get your calculate your budget. That's right. right. Your uh, estimate time for a project. Yeah. Yep. We had that in there as well. There so there's lots of resources on there. I mean, it was really good. So I suggest you go and check those out and it's a Thank great podcast to listen to. And your fun pick. Yes. my Oops. fun pick. 
Uh-oh. There we go. There we go. So the Mitchells versus the Machines was the cutest movie that we put on for my kids. And then we laughed through the entire thing. It was absolutely hilarious. It is like meme central. And there's this one where the girl is going, ah! <laughs> yeah, it was really well done. I, I watched that as well. It's super fun. We saw it. Uh, the other week, I think the funniest part was at the end where the machines are trying to do facial recognition on the dog <laughs> and the dog is so crazy it, looking. It, it couldn't look. compute what kind of <laughs> animal or thing it bread. was. I happen to have like had this link for a while, um, not a while, it only came out in May, but, um, and I keep thinking about it. And so I thought I'd pick this one because it fit right in with our, our freelance uh, discussion, yeah. but um, it's it's 10 tips for finding clients and it's on Dev2. Um, Creative Tim posted it and it is, it's really cool. It's 10 very succinct things to do and uh, kind of build up that, that freelance piece of your journey. Yeah. So that's my first pick. I also have a Netflix show, uh, Jupiter's Legacy. It was very awesome, not kid-friendly. Do not watch this with your uh, children uh, in the room. So, uh, But for the adults out there, great series. I think there's seven or eight. I think there's eight episodes. Um, we burnt through them, too. <laughs> yeah, they're very addictive. Uh, ends a little odd, so I'm hoping there's, there's a second season for sure. Yeah. That is my fun pick. So, Amy, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I can't can't wait to see what you guys do with Compress and uh, you know everything you have going on. And we'll for sure put up the the Zeal link for uh, hiring too. So you might have some uh, new members from our listener base coming. I'm excited to see more of your self teach me videos. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I have one uh, dropping today about a custom React audio player. You can do a whole series around that. Yeah. Oh, is that the one that you built for Compressed? That's right. Yep. Okay. That's very cool. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you. Later.